Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Joining us today is our girl, Nikki Harris, and Nikki is one of um, my dearest friends. We met in college because we were both on the CU dance team, so (laughs) Sco Buffs, and I absolutely um, just treasure her. Nikki is, she's like the grounded one in our in our friend group she always has wisdom she can see anything from both sides if you are struggling through just a decision or anything nikki can talk you through it um and so i just appreciate you so much and you're such a good loyal friend so i'm excited you're here yeah. welcome yeah thank cheers. you so much for having me <laughs> yes. cheers. cheers let's do it <laughs> um so one of I just think it's fun. We always tell like a few stories when we're just introducing <laughs> a, a guest. I think it helps people figure out like who you are. Um, but I love, so when Nikki and I met, it was in the summer before school had started. We had to be there early for all these practices for dance team before classes actually started. And we couldn't move in to like where we were living yet. And so we were staying with this older girl on the team that we didn't really know. It's Nikki and I's first year on the team. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And come to find out, it's so funny that like, so after practice, we would go back and Nikki and I were both reading. (laughs) I think it's E Pray Love Love by, is it Elizabeth Gilbert? Yeah. And we were so excited to watch the new movie coming out. Oh yeah. That's why we were both reading it. (laughs) We were so pumped about it. Um, And I just remember your super tan skin because she's from California and like bleach blonde hair. But I was like, I think we're soul sisters. Like we're both reading this book and all about it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's so funny. Oh, it was, that was a whirlwind moving to Colorado. I had just gone through a bunch of stuff at home. I knew no one. And I was the only freshman in the house at that point. We drove up. There was this junior and this sophomore, and they were both so cool and so knowledgeable. And I was like, (laughs) they're going to sniff me out so fast, (laughs) so fast. And there's a picture from that very first day of practice. And I had just been at the beach all summer long. So I had this like bleach blonde hair and this orangey tan skin <laughs> and everyone else was like you know normal Colorado tan in the summer and then there's me in the corner <laughs> like, good. oh my gosh I don't belong here but then Lindsay was just the best and the team was just incredible so it all worked out now we're here yeah and I'm excited because today we'll get to tell like some more dance team stories oh, gosh, for yeah. sure but um I'm here for it <laughs> love it um I think because you've known me just in multiple seasons of my life, is there something that maybe only you know or have seen that you just think <laughs> our listeners should know? Either? And me. 
Ann Kez should know the dirt. about me. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Nothing like too horrifying. The, the no, day. no horrifying things. <laughs> dance Day's Dirt. Dance Day's Dirt. Oh, no, we'll save that one. We'll save that for <laughs> off mic. <laughs> um, Lindsay's super cool. She's always been super cool, but that's like common knowledge. I think what some people don't know is Lindsay's actually a real big nerd and like loves the nerdy things. And like, I'm pretty sure isn't your dog named after Luna Lovegood of Harry Potter? She is. And she loves all things vampires (laughs) and she's just kind of a weirdo. And I love that. I love Teen Wolf. Oh, good gosh. No. (laughs) That's good. That's good info for everyone, I think. (laughs) Yep. Well, Nick, tell us a little bit about just like who you are and what you do and kind of like quick snapshot of what your life looks like right now. Cool. Um, I am a teacher at Boulder High. I teach math and I love my job and I love my kids and I feel like I'm in the right career for what I was supposed to do. Um, I am with my partner of seven years, Alex. He's awesome. And I have two pitbull mixes that I'm just absolutely freaking obsessed with. <laughs> and I love more than life itself. And yeah, that's me. You've embraced it. I oh, love yeah. it. <laughs> so I want to kind of go back in time a little bit and, and talk about this really an, kind of intense, dramatic, traumatic thing that happened to you while we were in college. But first, um, tell us a little bit about what being a college athlete was like like what what were the perks what did that come with what was hard about that just like tell us about what it was like it's so much more than I thought it was gonna be when I imagined being a what being a college dancer would be um one of the great things about being on the CU dance team was that we were considered an athletic program we were underneath an athletic umbrella Um, which means we got access to trainers and we got access to like really cool events. We were on the field. We were on the court. Um, I grew up dancing. I started dancing when I was two. Um, I was not a high school dancer. I was a studio dancer. And for those in the dance world, they know those are different things. (laughs) Um, So I was finishing up high school and was like, I'm not ready to finish dancing, but I'm not going to go pro. I'm not going to try and be a background dancer in a music video. That's not my path. But I really, I knew I was going to college and I just figured that was my next step. Um, So I tried out for a couple teams virtually, um, not really knowing if it was going to come to anything. Made the CU team, got super excited about it, showed up and just realized it's a whole different world. And what's focused on in a studio setting is completely different than what's focused on in a college setting. Um, But one of the things that I think a college setting did was it provided a support system in a group of women who were driven and talented and loyal to each other and loyal to the team. Um, And it was incredible. Some of my absolute best memories were with the team, whether it was in a room sweating eight hours straight, just miserable, or whether it was on the sideline of a team where we didn't think we were going to win, we overcame, everyone rushes the field, you're already there. There's like some of the highest highs and the lowest lows. Um, Being a college athlete is hard. Um, Being able to balance 30, 40-hour weeks plus your – 
academic side was really challenging at times. Um, I was a straight A student in high school. I was not in college. (laughs) I had to figure out my balance and it took me quite a few years. Um, But it's insanely rewarding to know that you get to work towards a goal with a group of people who have the same exact goal. And that is something that in the real world, in the adult world, I find is not always what you get in a job, in a career. And so I feel really honored. And it was just incredible to be a part of something like that. Uh, I would not take it back for the world. There were days where I thought, what am I doing to myself? Why am I here? Um, But it all worked out. And I have my absolute best friends in the world from it. So tell us then about um, nationals. Tell us about mm-hmm. what happens, what's, what led up to that. Okay, so for those of you who don't know the spirit world, especially at the collegiate level, you know, basketball teams get like 30 games. Football teams get 16 games. Spirit gets one. They get one competition and that's all they get. They get two and a half minutes on the floor to show everything that they're worth. And then you get judged on it. And that's your competition season. And it sounds like, oh, it's just one. Maybe you don't have to prepare as hard. But we prepare for months and months and months. And the month leading up to it, it's eight, nine-hour days straight up until the competition. So it's really intense. And you have you have to be there for a reason. You don't just do this because, oh, I like to dance. It's fun. You have to be a competitor. You have to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, so my sophomore year, we prepare. We feel very confident. We like our routine. We like where we're at. We think we have a real good shot of taking something home, some sort of title. And we make it through prelims, all happy, so excited, just living up this experience that you only get so often. Um, and then we get to finals and it's very bring it on. Also for people not in <laughs> the spirit okay, world. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I'm picturing. It's a very bring it on. Like everyone's in their uniform, all the hairsprays everywhere. <laughs> like the everyone's so focused and like in on their team. And it like bring it on for how hilarious it is. It is freaking spot on about what a spirit competition looks like. So we're backstage. There's probably like all these incredible teams all around us. And we're told to zone everyone out, all the other music, all the other voices, and just focus on the one voice in front of us. And we're all extremely zoned in on just that voice. So we start our routine, not three, eight counts in. I can like still remember like the beginning part of that routine. We go to do a team toe touch. I've done millions of toe touches throughout my life. And I come down and my knee gives out. It completely gives out. I can't stand up. My heart starts racing. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This is not allowed to happen. We've been building towards this for months. And our choreographer at the time was like, just step off, just get off. So I crawl off. I'm like in panic mode. And I'm like playing with it. Like, I think she's fine. I think it's fine. They get through the whole background routine. I don't do anything because I'm like, can I stand on this? Can I do anything? 
So I'm standing, I'm like jumping around. I'm like, okay, just a fluke, get out of your head. I'm always in my head. And that has always been something that coaches have told me to get out of. Um, so I'm like, get out of your head. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So everyone steps out. I'm like, I just need to do one more thing. I just need to do one more thing to feel ready. So I step onto, like it's a rubber floor, so it's a little stickier. Step onto a floor and do a turn. And while I am spinning, I hear a, and whole feeling of my leg just goes out and I just crumble to the floor. And I remember being like, that can't be good. Like I, I know something was wrong. I heard the sound. I immediately feel pain just shoot both ways, centralized at my knee, down to my ankle and up to my hip. And I don't remember all the details after that because it all feels like it just happened real fast. But I remember trainers like ran over to me. They must have heard it. They saw me go down. And all of a sudden, like I'm up on a stretcher and I look at the trainer. I said, we go in two routines. I need to be back in two routines. And she just looks at me and shakes her head. She goes, you're not dancing anymore. What? We just spent six months preparing this. I just gave a month of my life, eight, nine hour days. This is my team. This is my routine. I am ready. I'm prepared. And she's just like, nope, you're not getting up out of this. You're not dancing. Did that feel real? No. And I remember being like, sick joke first. Like, you think I'm not dancing. And then I tried to stand up and I couldn't. And our coach at the time was next to me. Our choreographer was already with them reworking the routine with the rest of the girls because I couldn't dance. You have to put 16 on the floor. They couldn't put 15 without me. So they were already, they already knew before I did. And I remember being like, are you serious? Are you serious? This isn't going to happen for me. And she's like, yeah, I'm serious. You need an MRI. Something's wrong in there. I'm not going to confirm, but I think it's your ACL. And I'd heard of ACL. I watched football. Like I knew ACL surgeries. I was like, dancers don't get ACL tears. Are you kidding me? There's other moments that I remember from that day. Because I feel like I kind of blocked a lot of it out. But I remember, so they put me in a wheelchair, which felt super dramatic at the time. I was like, I was just in the top shape of my life. And now I can't walk. So they put me in a wheelchair. So I wheeled over to the side where you guys were rerunning the routine. And my mom came running in. My mother is an emotional wreck (laughs) at the best of times. (laughs) (laughs) So she comes running in. I don't know how she found out. I don't know how she got back there. Well, because we, they delayed us. I think they delayed. Yeah. This is happening. We are supposed to be again in like. Minutes away from. Minutes. We were like in the top eight. So they had taken all of the teams that had competed. We had made the top eight. Yeah. I think we were supposed to go second. And they pushed us to the end because. And I think that that's how then all the parents out front are like, yeah. why, why is you delayed? Yeah. Like something is going on. Yep. So my mom, like I can see her slow-mo running back to me <laughs> and I'm in my wheelchair and my first thought is, oh no, like I'm going to have to manage her. So she runs over, she's crying. And I remember looking at her and being like, we can't cry. They need to focus. Like I was sitting on the edge watching them rework. We had pulled in an alternate Everyone was switching formations. Everyone had the most focused, like, dead look in their eyes. Like, this is not happening. 
at all. Our routine was like to Britney Spears music and all, yeah, everyone. Yeah, it was like a throwback routine. <laughs> it was it. so fun. It was so fun. And everyone just looked like they were having the worst time of their lives. <laughs> but I remember looking at her and being like, get it together. They need to focus. And so we went out. You guys did the routine. I remember I was shouting like, I love you guys from the corner. And as soon as the music came on, I just lost it. Like full blown tears, bawling. Our old captain who had graduated was there holding me because I was like, mom, you're making this worse. I adore (laughs) you, but you're crying harder than I am. And I'm injured. And I lost that routine. You can't cry for me. I need to cry myself. But it just was like a, like people tear their ACLs all the time. And it's a pretty common injury for an athlete. I had just never seen it happen to someone. I'd never been injured myself. I didn't, I never thought that that was a place I could be. And in this peak moment, not like back at our home gym Mm-mm. weeks before, that would be that would be traumatic as well. Oh, for, for sure. sure. But in this, the height of like, this is it. This is all you get. Right. Yes. And just like this perfect storm of yeah, the pressure and this peak moment, and that's when mm-hmm. you fell to your knees was like on the practice floor minutes before your final routine. Right. It's just wild. It was, it was wild. And I, there were other pieces. So I grew up dancing in Los Angeles. A lot of my peers who had danced with me there were at different colleges. So I remember I was being wheeled down like this tiny little hallway that we all have to wait in before we go backstage. And like, All of these people from all different stages of my dancing career were there. My old choreographer, Mm -hmm. my old coach was there. All Like five or six different girls came up and gave me big hugs. And I just, it felt like I had lost everything, which is so dramatic looking back. Like I was a dancer. I was like, it, it wasn't life altering, but it felt like everything that we had worked for as a team, I felt like I had let my team down. I'd felt like I'd let myself down all because of a dang knee. Right. Well, that's interesting what you say about the, I've never thought of this before about most other sports. You, you get games throughout a season and you get, so you practice and then you get to show up every week, every other, whatever, and put it all out there and accomplish something or have something to work on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you get that several times in a season. That's very interesting to think about that you get one game right for your whole season. Your whole season is practice. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. And then you get one two-minute game. That's super intense. I have never, ever thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I do this piece of, I mean, I can just tell right now, like the look on your face and the look in your eye of letting your teammates down because it's also their one game, Mm -hmm. right? Like you were carrying that for them too. Like you knew it was their one two minute game too. And you like, your heart was broken. Yeah. For yourself, yes. But 
what I can tell from this was like you were carrying that for your teammates. Yeah. That's intense. It was a lot of guilt for a while. It yeah. was a lot of guilt that we had all worked so hard and we were we knew everything about every that entire routine backwards forwards. We just had killed our bodies to make our one game worth it. And then it's also supposed to be fun, right? It's supposed to be a good, day, a good time. And to watch this like throwback routine with like some NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears and like no expression on anyone's face. Like I'm just running through the motions. Mm-hmm. I felt heartbroken for them. Absolutely heartbroken. And I wanted to make I'm a I'm a fixer. I hate being a problem. I hate knowing that I've created a problem. So I like want to fix. So that was like one of the pieces when my mom came up and I was like, you need to get it together. Like we cannot be a bigger problem than we already are. Well, yeah, almost like this weird version of attention, right? Like right. where you're like, no, no, no. I don't, well, I don't want to. Helplessness, I yeah. think too, to feel like I'm now realizing you're feeling, you're perceiving this as like, I'm, I've caused a problem. And also like, and I am so, I mean, quite literally paralyzed <laughs> to, to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it really did. I mean, it's kind of fascinating to consider like, I think too, how that changed culture on our team. I mean, the alternate thing is always like a little funky. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you get what, maybe there's 22 girls on the team, 16 get a spot on the floor. You know, I'm not great at math, but that means like six, right, Nikki? You're good. Okay. Six. <laughs> I knew you were going like, to estimate that. Oh, yeah. Six are like alternates. <laughs> and so being an alternate like doesn't feel great. But then we have this moment happen mm-hmm. that nobody sees coming. And I mean, my God, I remember like, I mean, she didn't have a uniform on. Mm-hmm. I remember her like changing, putting a uniform top on, being thrown into the mix. So then it like changed, I think, too, the way we just moved on after this too to go like, you have no idea. We have absolutely no idea what could happen. And in a moment's notice, you also had to be prepared to just like. Switch everything. Change everything we've done for the last six months. Change it all. Figure it out. And look pretty while doing it. Yeah. And execute (laughs) it perfectly. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was wild. Um, The recovery was tough too. Coming back, I remember we came back from nationals. We sadly did not do as well as we thought we were going to do. We wheeled you around Universal Studios <laughs> that night. I, they didn't really know what was wrong from with my legs, so they couldn't really tell me whether I could walk or not. So I was being wheeled. We were using all the wheelchair accessible places. I was like, me and my 22 squad, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> so there were fun moments. But we got back, and there was a cool hip-hop routine that we were working on for a basketball game. And I remember being so excited for it and then coming and watching it right after surgery and just like being on my crutches and watching you guys just slay a routine on the floor being like, that's my team. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I was looking forward to post nationals intensity. Um, It was tough. It was tough as like a, a moment for me. It was tough to try and reason like, what am I outside of this? Like I felt like my identity was so rooted in being a CU dance member. And then now I was just in crutches and I couldn't do any of the things that brought me joy in life. And it, I had to like really sit 
for quite a few months and figure out, okay, if I'm not on the dance, if I'm not doing dance, what do I do? I like didn't even know how to fill my time. It was weird. It was different. What did you kind of discover in that? I think having having kind of a, a goal, you know, ripped away from you. And I do think being now limited in this way, like what did you discover about yourself not being able to be Nikki? The dancer. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, athlete, teammate, mm-hmm. being able to contribute to your team in this way. Like what kind of came out of that? I feel like I learned a lot about myself that I would have never learned before. Um, I think I thought I was an extrovert just because I liked performing. But what I found was when I didn't have my team and didn't have reasons to be out in front of people, I really go to myself. So I really learned like, you don't need to be around people to be fulfilled. And that was a big one. And that was a hard one too, because I was just, I was pretty restricted with movement and it's Colorado winters. I'm on crutches. I can't put weight on my foot. If it's icy at all, I couldn't go anywhere. Um, so I kind of like leaned into myself in that sense. I think I also learned what I loved most about being a dancer was my team. And I loved the goal mindset of that. Um, I'm extremely goal-oriented and really, if I don't have a goal, I just float. So I felt like I was floating Mm. for months. Like my goal was to get healthy, but there were so many like, oh, you feel like you can run? You have three more months till you can do that. Like You're not allowed to even try that. Um, And that was was tough to be like, "I, I can do whatever I want to but you can't do whatever you want to. That was, I think that was a good lesson to like learn boundaries at an age where I felt boundless. Like the world was my oyster. I could do anything I wanted until you can't. And you have to sit with that and really reason with that. And that was a good lesson to learn. But yeah, I think what got me through were the people. And I still like every year, the day of my surgery comes up on my Facebook memories. And the reason I know is not because I posted about it, but because every single member of that team posted something on my Facebook wall. This is when Hmm. Facebook was big. This was (laughs) pre-Twitter, pre-Instagram. Facebook was it. And every year it's the same day and I just pick up my phone and go, oh, right. This This is why I love dance. It's the people. It's the team. It's the goal. It's the relationships you create. And so while I still consider myself a dancer, I know I'm not. I'm not a dancer without my team. And I never was. And then your senior year, I wasn't on the team anymore. So sad. So but then it really all fell apart. Huh? <laughs> I graduated. But then Nikki's senior year, that team. So you rehabbed your knee. Oh, yeah. You were now again in competitive shape again. And your senior year, you guys wind up winning a national title. You get top five. Yeah. Which is wow. huge. It was huge. It was incredible. 
And such a freaking honor. Like, we didn't know if we were even going to compete the year after my knee went out. There was all this kind of stuff going on. And to come back from an injury and then actually reach the goal that we thought we could get Mm. to was just incredible. And just so another weird thing about the spirit world is you go to awards, right? You don't just know who wins when the timer goes off. You like get (laughs) judged, you go to awards, and then they read from bottom to top. So if there are nine Rough. teams the suspense. in ninth intense. place is blah blah university <laughs> right. in eighth. So you're just wait, you're just praying. Don't say my name. Don't say my name. Don't say my right. name. Don't say right. And like anytime there's a university of, that's like all the universities. So <laughs> university of Colorado. Yeah. So you're all like, <laughs> and so we end up getting fourth place and fifth place, which was just freaking incredible. And it was. It was a real great way to go out after kind of a wild four years on the team, a lot of different things going on. But like I still look back and like when they called fifth place and it wasn't our name and like literally you're holding your teammates hands and everyone just did like one simultaneous hug at the same time. It's like, we freaking did it again. Okay, play it cool. There's still cameras on you. You have to be okay with this. It was it was awesome. It's still like, I still brag about it sometimes to my students. I'm like, yeah, I was a college athlete. I'm considered like top four in the nation at my time. And they're like, okay, Miss Harris, you're Hell not yeah. as cool as you think you are. I'm way cooler than you think I am. Oh, no. That's, I could throw a football over that mountain. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's amazing. Oh. I think you get to brag about that for your whole life. I would. Do you wear your yep. ring ever? Do you wear the ring? No, we didn't get rings. You didn't get rings? We talked about it. And we we're like, if we had gotten top three, we would have. And then, you know, that trickled into, well, we should get tattoos. And then we didn't get tattoos, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but no. I'm so grateful now. <laughs> I just, I have not get a team tattoo. I know, like kind C-U-D-T straight down my arm. Top four. <laughs> so you go out on this huge high. You graduate. Mm-hmm. You wind up leaving CU. Um, and staying in Colorado. So what happens in kind of that next year? <laughs> well, I tear my ACL again. You know, I'm just living. Oh, my. <laughs> trying to just live life. The same one? Second, the opposite one. Oh, the other leg? The opposite Oof. leg, yeah. So um, I am skiing, you know, trying to learn how to ski as a very cautious 23-year-old. I don't take risks. Adrenaline is like my least favorite feeling. So I'm like slowly skiing and I hit some slush and I fall and I hear the pop. And I remember sitting there and I was pretty fresh dating my partner at that point. And he looked at me and I was like, I just tore my ACL. And he's like, no, you didn't. You're fine. He's been skiing since he's like been six months pretty much. And he's like, you're fine. I was like, I'm not going to be able to stand up. I know that sound. I know that feeling. I know exactly what just happened to me. And he's like, just stand up. Just try it. I was like, Al, we are fresh here. You do not push me to stand up right now. I was like, <laughs> you need to call that toboggan thing to have me brought down. I'm not getting up from this. <laughs> so I have to do like that embarrassing if you've ever gone Like skiing, the mummy. The mummy. And they brought up, I was completely cool. I knew exactly what happened. I knew what was ahead of me already. 
And I was like, I tore my ACL. I'm not getting down this mountain without you. All right, just strapped me in. Um, And the recovery the second time was completely different. So one of the perks of being considered a college athlete was you had college surgeons, college trainers, college physical therapists. So when I did it in college, it was like I had an incredible, incredible surgeon who was also super hot. (laughs) Shout out Dr. V. (laughs) Hot (laughs) doc. He was so attractive. He was married, though, so. Or it would have gone somewhere. You never know. (laughs) Yes. So, but, like, had surgery the day after. I was already in physical therapy. They had, like, all the ice machines, all the heat machines, everything I could possibly need to get me back as quick as possible. And I went from surgery day to about six and a half months later, back, like, full dancing again so the second time i did go back to my very hot doctor <laughs> yeah <thankfully>. you did <laughs> you saved his number <laughs> and but the recovery is completely different i was teaching at that point i so i had a full-time job i was not making a lot of money so i couldn't go to physical therapy six days a week like i was when i was in college because i didn't have access to that resource so the second time around was a completely different ball game Um, it was a lot more mental. I didn't feel like I had that team support that I had when I had torn it in college. And it was, that one was way tougher. I thought it was going to be easier because I knew what was going to happen. I was like, you have surgery. These are the things you do. This is when you can expect to be back. It took me 10 months to come back from that one. So with this second injury and kind of in a new season of life, did you continue to kind of work through this thing of who who am I without this team and without this outlet? Yeah, for a while. Um, I thought that's what having a job would feel like, and that's not what having a job feels like. It's not that you don't have support, but you don't have this like focused goal, this rooted purpose. Um, and then, you know, post-college – all your people spread, right? They go into a million different directions. And like I said, I I found that I was okay being introverted, but I felt like I wanted to have that goal, have that root, have something that connected me elsewhere. Um, And it was a search for like a pretty long time for like, what is, what is, what is Nikki now that she can't be a dancer, now that she's outaged it? Um, what is she connected to? What is she rooted with? So what what did you start to pursue to explore that or to seek that out? Yeah, what did you find? Um, so I, I found passions in new things. And one of my big passions was travel. Um, I love to plan trips. I'm a huge list maker. I have <laughs> PowerPoint presentations of every trip I've ever gone on. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nikki has planned like our honeymoons for our yep, friends yep, because it, she's yep. so good at I it. I love it so much. So I found travel and through that avenue, um, I my mother is Jewish. So I found that culture through my travel explorations. 
that I never really thought I was going to. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, there's a program called Birthright, and its intention is to bring people with Jewish roots to Israel to experience Israel to reconnect with their Jewish culture. And it was wildly incredible. Tell us really quick. So before this, you mentioned, so your mom's Jewish. Like before this moment in your life, what is your understanding or experience with Jewish culture? Like how did that, did that show up in your life at all before this? Almost none, almost none before I went. Um, So my father was born and raised Catholic, like went to all Catholic schools throughout his whole life. Um, My mother was raised in a Jewish household, but not outwardly Jewish. So my grandma will tell a story that they had moved to Chicago. They had told the neighbors that they were Jewish and the neighbors had told their kids not to play with her kids. And my grandma at that point was like, we are Jewish in this home. We are not Jewish outside of this home. And so my mom had some conflicting thoughts about Judaism being raised. And so when she came to us and my dad had kind of left his Catholicism behind, it was a little too strict for him. They just wanted us raised in a pretty neutral household. So we had, I think we did Hanukkah like a handful of times when I was little, but it was like, oh, you needed socks. So we bought you an eight pack of socks and we give you one each night. You know, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And like, we didn't learn the traditions behind it. We didn't learn the purpose behind it. Even my grandparents were, they didn't push it. They didn't encourage it or discourage it. Um, I always thought it was cool to be like, yeah, I'm Jewish because everyone in my community was Catholic. So I was like that one, like, yeah, I'm Jewish. My mom's Jewish. It's matriarchal. (laughs) Um, But I really didn't know anything beyond that like gets passed down from the mother's side and how that would end up playing in with me. Um, knowing that like I'm a woman and I will pass this down to my kids. And so birthright originally for me was just a flight over to that area of the world. And I was going to do this really cool thing. Israel had to be cool, but like I was going to go Greece after that. And then I was going to go to Croatia after that. And I was going to have these awesome experiences just because birthright will pay for your flight over there and pay for your flight back, which was a nice perk. When I actually got there, I was all by myself. We were in a group of like 30 people. And it was another like fish out of water experience, like going back to that first day of dancing, being like, I don't know anyone. I'm clearly a standout here. Everyone else was from the East Coast. I had flown to the East Coast so I could participate in this. And it was another, like, I don't, they're going to sniff me out. They're going to know I'm not really Jewish and they're all really Jewish. And it ended Mm -hmm. up not being that way at all. There were people from all walks of life that were coming for different reasons, but we all walked away from Israel feeling completely different about what being Jewish actually means. It was I can confidently say going to Israel was life-changing for me. Israel is completely different than what you think it is, A, and absolutely incredible and holy and spirited in completely inspiring ways. 
So everyone go to Israel. (laughs) (laughs) Was there like a moment or a, a specific experience that you feel like kind of opened you up to that? that side of it is feeling like this is going to be about more than just like a really cool trip. I took one time for me. Right. So there were two big instances where I felt my Jewish culture. The first was we had just gotten off of this 12 hour flight. I smelled so bad and I was so embarrassed (laughs) by it. But everyone kind of smelled bad because we were all still in our travel clothes. And we got on this bus. It was super hot outside. And they drove us probably like two hours away. We still hadn't really like met each other. So I was sitting next to this person on a bus being like, how was your flight? Same as mine? Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get to this place and they pull us out and it's on the coast. It's a beautiful day. No clue where we're at. No context. And... They put us on this like one spot and point to these ruins that are pretty close by and say, those are the oldest known ruins from Jewish people. Every single one of you have ancestors that were there. And it was like this full body chills moment where I'm looking at this group of 30 people. I know none of them, but I know that we all came from there at some point. And it was like, oh, this may not just be the cool travel experience, I thought. This may be more than that. Because I'd never really thought of being Jewish as part of my identity other than, like, a fun party fact for me. And in that moment, I, like, felt connected to something bigger than me. And that was pretty grounding in that moment. And then the second one was the first time we went and visited the wall. So in Jerusalem, the like the big thing is to go to the wall of one of the temples that was torn down multiple times. And it's a very, very important part of Jewish culture. And so, you know, birthright, they know what they're doing. They like build it up until we get there. They make you get all dressed up and we get to the site, but we're not allowed to see it. And, like, they blow the shofar, which is this, like, beautiful ancient horn. And the specific amount of times it's blown, it's very, like, I don't know. It's a visceral experience. And so there was only three of us in the whole group of 30 that had never been there. And so they decided that they needed to focus the experience on us. And not just the leaders, the 27 other people too. So they like made a hallway of people for us and took us to a specific point that we wouldn't see the wall until we could see all of the wall. And so it was, I should have said this, it was also a Friday night. So it was Shabbat night, which is like the big night at the wall. So we get there and like they've blown the shofar These people that I've gotten to know over these past two weeks are all like standing there like so excited for me. And I just have this out-of-body experience is completely wrong. It's like the opposite. It's like the most alive feeling you can feel within your own body. And so we get to the end and the three of us, right, we're all linked together. um, We like turn the corner and there it is. Like 
this beautiful wall that you know means so much to your culture, this gorgeous golden dome that is just, you know exactly what you're looking at when you see it. And then you see all these Jewish people singing and dancing right in front of it. And I didn't know that it was going to be that experience. And I got there, had my breath completely taken away. I start crying immediately. No idea why. I'm not sure if it was out of like sadness that I this was the moment I was realizing and it took me that long, 25 years. I didn't know if it was, I can't believe I'm here. Like this is the team, the family that you always knew was so important to you, right? That's what I found in the dance team. That was my team. Maybe this is my team. Or I think I just was like completely overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, this is just an incredible experience. It was, it was the most perfect experience that I think I could have had there. We went down, we got to write a prayer, right? You write a prayer and you stick it in the wall. And so we got to do that. And then there's, so they split it into men and women's side. So we went to the women's side. And immediately these women that come there every Friday pick us up in a circle and start dancing and singing with us. We have no idea what we're doing. I'm just having the time of my life. I'm dancing. I'm singing words. I have no idea. They start doing chants. I participate in with it. And that moment was, I think, the moment that in my heart I decided being Jewish is going to mean something. It's not just going to be your party fact. It's going to be something that you're going to take with you and that you're going to pass on. What was it like coming home with this kind of like profound spiritual experience and then trying to process that like with people back home who Mm -hmm. weren't there with you, but you're feeling now like that this is an important now piece of, of who I am and what I carry and and what I want my life want my life to be about in a way. And so like how do you then process this once you're home? Like what what kind of conversations do you start having? Mm-hmm. So the first big conversation I had was actually with the women that were on this trip with me, saying, okay, what does a modern day Jewish woman actually do? Like what is the expectation, what is, what is your experience with this? And so I got to learn from them. So it's like, I'm, I'm probably not going kosher. Like, I'm not giving that piece <laughs> up. And like, I wasn't really raised with religion, but I feel this culture. So like, what does that mean? So I got to learn from their different experiences. And then the second big conversation was with my partner, Alex, who was not raised with religion, who was not Jewish by any means, coming home and saying, I have this experience and I want you to hear it. And then I want to process whether this fits into our future because it fits into mine and I need to know if it fits into ours. And he's so open-minded and so gracious and he just wanted to learn more about it. So, you know, in typical me fashion, I went onto Amazon and bought Judaism for dummies. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you got to start somewhere. (laughs) And like, Went through all of it and it's like highlighting furiously and tabbing different pages of things like I wanted to share with him. And what I found is 
for me, being Jewish is more about feeling rooted and feeling like I have a culture. And so it doesn't mean we need to go to the synagogue every Friday night. It doesn't mean we need to give up electricity Friday evening to Saturday evening. It doesn't mean we need to stop eating the bacon that we love so much. It means that we need to take pieces of the culture and integrate that into our lives. So the big piece that I took from it is the importance of connection. And the more actual research I've done into different religions, I feel like they all kind of do that. It's so, it, the family unit's so important. Your community is so important. And that's something that needs to be prioritized. So Friday nights for us now are open door. Anyone is welcome, but we are home. And our table is set. And anyone who wants food can come over and be whoever wants a drink, come over and come drink with us if you want to play games. But Friday night is the Shabbat night. And it's not Shabbat for us in the way that we go to the synagogue and then we walk home and, you know, we pray. It's the sense of this is our community and this is what we're going to prioritize tonight of all nights. Um. We've started integrating the different Jewish religions. I had uh, my first Passover in 2019. You did great. Lynn's came. It was I made, wonderful. I made a great brisket. You did. <laughs> like, a, delicious. like a nice Jewish woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I was learning through it and like I leaned on you. I was like, can you give us some history behind this? I'm like religious context with this <laughs> instead of like you just chug a glass of wine a couple times this <laughs> yeah, tonight. Four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was so fun. Um, but we're finding the pieces that integrate into our lives. And as we're looking forward to like, what does this mean for our children? We're still kind of in that gray zone of how is this going to fit in long-term into our family? Um, I was not raised Jewish, but I think I want to raise my kids that way. And I think I want my kids to have the opportunity to learn about this culture that I think is so important to my identity and then they can make a decision about how it fits into their identity. But I want to give them the opportunity to learn before they're in their mid-20s, like I did. Knowing what you know now about yourself and where you come from and that you do have these like incredible connections to this rich history and this tradition and that you've really, I think, found a sense of identity in that. What would you say kind of like back to that girl who felt so scared by, you know, losing the the ability to do the thing that she loved and feeling just kind of so shaken and rocked by that? Like, what would you say to that girl feeling like, I am floating I'm wondering, I, and I don't know where to land. Like, what would you say to her? I feel like I'd want to tell her, just wait. Like, you think this is the peak of everything and you've lost it all. But just wait. There's going to be so many more peaks for you that are so different, but so rooted in your same values of my people, my team, my community. Just wait, because it does, it comes back around. So what gets you out of bed in the morning? So I've been thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have 
two answers. So my joke answer is my puppy. She's eight (laughs) months old and she's crate trained. So in the morning she wakes up and you can hear her wrestling around a little bit. She's patient, air quotes. (laughs) And then once it gets to a point, she starts just going, help, help, from her crate. And so she is our alarm clock every morning. Right. Um, But more really with my job and my passion, it's today I get the chance to help someone. Today I get, someone may need me today. And so it's time to get up. Um, And maybe that's just Reggie who needs to get out of her crate that morning. But maybe it's my student who's been struggling with a concept and needs me. Or maybe it's my student who's going through something and just needs that like emotional support and that hey, you doing okay? And like, that's the check-in that they needed. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, knowing that someone may need me and maybe I can help someone today. And what keeps you up at night? Uh, I'm a type six on the Enneagram. So (laughs) I always am like trying to plan like worst case scenario, best case scenario, every scenario in between. (laughs) And so I go to bed replaying everything that happened that day, trying to figure out in my scale, was that better to worst case, best case? How could I have done better for the future? How can I fix what I think I didn't do well? And I can run through every conversation I've had every single day, all night long, if I let myself. Mm. And there are days that I do, but that's what normally keeps me up at night. Could I have done something better that day? True dancer, aren't Man. you? <laughs> Nikki, thank you so much for saying yes, for, yeah, going into some parts of your story that are just deeply personal um, and sensitive and truly just like really, really profound and beautiful. So I love you so much. Thank you, truly. Yeah, Thanks, thank y'all. you. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you'd be interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers. Cheers.